I wanna begin today with a little word association, okay? So I want everybody to do me a favor. If you will, kind of sit up on the edge of your seat, kind of put your haunches, if you will, on the front of your seat, lean forward a little bit, and I'm gonna say a word, and I want you to say out loud the very first word that comes into your mind, a little word association, all right? Table. Up. Boy. Hot. Dallas. Oh. You know what's so funny? Y'all got all of them right except the last one. The last one is losing the first round of the playoffs. Go ahead and have a seat back. But I tease. I tease because I care about you, not about the Cowboys. Word association is, is a fascinating snapshot of where our mind is at any given point in time. You, you could use the exact same words a year from now and maybe have a different set of responses. But I wonder this morning if I said to you, say the first thing that comes into your mind when I say the word Jesus, what would you say? How would you respond to the name of God's son? Because I think a lot of us would respond in a lot of different ways. Some of us would say friend. Some of us would say Lord, Savior, Healer, Miracle Worker. Some of us might say good teacher or prophet, moral leader. And then there are still others I know who would say fraud, a fake or a charlatan. There are so many different ideas, so many different concepts of who Jesus is that I think it's imperative for everyone. I don't mean most of us. I mean everyone to really and truly have in our minds and our hearts just who exactly Jesus really is. You know, word association is exactly how the apostle John begins his gospel account, his good news account of the life of Jesus. If you want to get to know Jesus, you got to read the gospels. The gospels would be, of course, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament. Now, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they, they all tell different perspectives of the same story. It would be kind of like if you asked me to describe my wife, Julie, or if you asked our kids to describe Julie. We would be describing the same person, but I would convey different things than our kids would convey. They have a different experience with the same person than I have with that person. We would both be describing the same thing. They would be complementary, but we would use different words. We would use different stories to tell our version of Julie. In the same way, the Gospels do this. Matthew is writing almost exclusively to a Jewish audience. He emphasizes the, the kingship of Jesus, the, the kingship of Israel's promised Messiah. Mark, on the other hand, emphasizes the servant nature of Jesus' ministry. Luke, who is a physician and, and the only non-Jewish writer of the Gospels, Luke tells us the details. He, he wants us to know that he was there. He wants us to know that these are the facts as he witnessed them, as he experienced them. 
Now, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke are a little bit different. Taken together, those three gospels are known as the synoptic gospels because they provide a synopsis, a, a snapshot of Jesus's earthly life and ministry over and against John. Now, John comes along, and John takes a higher altitude perspective on the ministry of Jesus, on the gospel, good news of Jesus. John is more theological. He is less data-driven. He is more theological. He's more philosophical. John is more concerned with the meaning behind Jesus's ministry, the purpose behind his preaching than just what he said and where he went and what he did. John comes along and gives us an amazing kaleidoscope of Jesus's life and the reason and the purpose and the meaning behind Jesus's life. If you look with me in John chapter 20, John gives us his reason for writing this gospel account. There's already Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Most scholars are convinced that Matthew, Mark, and Luke came before John in terms of the chronology of when they were written. But John says the following in John chapter 20, verse 30 through 31. He says, now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is why the gospel of John exists. It is written down for us to understand the purpose and to know the facts of Jesus's life are there to provide a foundation for our faith in Jesus's claims to be the son of God, to be the savior of the world. But who was John? I mean, there's, there's John who wrote the book of John in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John later on in the New Testament and even the book of Revelation. But John here is not the same as John the Baptist. Those are two very different Johns. John, even in Jesus' day, was a common name. So you have John, who was a disciple. John's father was Zebedee. John's brother was James. Taken together, James and John, Jesus said, these are the sons of thunder. Sons of thunder. Wouldn't that be a great name to be known by? You're a son of thunder. I like that. James and John, as a matter of fact, are the ones whose mother approached Jesus one day and said, excuse me, Lord, could you let my boys sit on your left and right side in heaven? Don't you know James and John were just like, oh, mom, please, you've got to be kidding me right now. But that's who John was. And John writes this amazing account of Jesus's life, and he begins with what theologians call the prologue of the gospel of John. It's just the, the introduction to the book, and it is all about word association. Look at what he says in John chapter one. We're gonna start with verses one through five and then skip down to 14 and 15. John says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us 
and we have seen his glory. Glory is the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. That's referencing John the Baptist. So John says, in the beginning was the word. And just in this little section of scripture, there is so much there to unpack about who Jesus really is. Who Jesus really is. Now John was not writing to an exclusively Jewish audience, nor was he writing exclusively to a Gentile or Greek audience. And because of the fact that he wanted everybody to understand the universal, the universal relevance of Jesus' life and ministry, he uses this word, word. Turn to your neighbor and with passion in your heart, tell him, word up. Now, if you've never used the phrase word up, that means that you were born after the 90s. But this word, word, is so strategically used. John uses a word that would have resonated for very different reasons with a Jewish audience and a Gentile audience. To a a Greek, the, the word that he uses here is the Greek word logos. It's the word Logos, it's the same word that we use when we talk about biology, geology. Logos means word. But in the context in which it was written, it has very different connotations for a Greek audience and a Jewish audience. The Greek audience would see the word logos and they think philosophy. They think worldview, ultimate truth. In this day and age in which the New Testament was written, The Greeks were concerned with ultimate truth. And John says, this is Jesus, the ultimate truth, the ultimate expression of reality, the explainer of all philosophy and worldview is Jesus. But in the Jewish mind, when they hear word, they don't think ultimate truth exclusively. They think the word of God, particularly because he uses this phrase, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning, of course, that every Jewish student ever is going to immediately go to the first verses of Genesis. In the beginning, God created. So in the beginning, Jesus was already there before creation started. In the beginning, before history was recorded, Jesus was already there. This word logos is so rich And it applies to everyone, no matter where they're coming from. The Jewish idea of Logos would be God's word, scripture, revelation, particularly as it relates to power and activity. When the Jewish mind thinks of the word of God, they don't just think words on a page or words that were spoken. They think action. God spoke and creation came into being. God spoke and called Israel into covenant relationship. When God speaks, things happen. People move. History changes. And so logos, in the beginning, was the logos. It was packed. And what I want to do is pull out of this passage six realities, six truths about the word for us to associate with Jesus. 
But we're also going to talk about what they represent. First of all, word association is the word is eternal. Jesus is eternal. That means he had no beginning. He has always been with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And he, of course, has no end. There will never be a point at which Jesus dies. He wasn't born before history started. He came into earth. The word became flesh. He was born a human being for his earthly ministry. But he has always, always been. He is eternal. Number two, the word is divine. The word was God. He is actually God in human form, maintaining, possessing, preserving all of his deity. The word was God, divine. Number three, he is creator. Did you know that Jesus is the agent of creation? All of creation was made by Jesus. What did it say back there in John chapter 1? All things, say all things. All things were made through him. Without him not, was not anything made that was made. He is the creator of everything that is. Number four, he is life. He is life itself. Now, the Greek word for life is not the same that we use like biology and like you're, you're breathing and have a pulse. The Greek word for life is zoe. Say zoe. zoe. That, means, that means the fullness of human experience and expression. Zoe is everything that you were created for. Jesus is the root of all of it. He is the author of of all life. It, it, that, that's who he is. Number five, it said, he is the light. He is the light of the world. He is the light of mankind. And the light shines in the darkness because the darkness has not overcome it. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever, and I'm just gonna ask by a show of hands, you don't have to play along, but if you'd like to, feel free. Do you ever sometimes think to yourself privately, this world is going to hell in a handbasket. Has anybody ever thought that? Like in the last, I don't know, 24 hours? <laughs> I understand that. I, re I really do. But never, ever, ever, ever forget John chapter one, the light, Jesus shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome the light. The darkness has not overcome the light. No matter how bad it gets, no matter what happens on a football field, no matter what happens in your school, no matter what happens in an election, no matter what happens, the darkness has not overcome the light. Jesus is the light of the world, and the light shines in the darkness. And then finally, number six, word association, Jesus was human. He became flesh. 
he, he put on humanity while preserving his deity. So when you start to understand all of these things about who he is, then you begin to understand more how to associate with the word. Then you begin to understand more how to relate to the world, that, that, the word, that he is personal. You see, the Greek would look at the word logos and think philosophy, inert truth and knowledge. Well, truth and knowledge are important, but they're not personal. You can know a lot of facts that don't change you personally or internally. This is called school. You know what I'm saying? But when you know that the logos, that the word has become flesh, when you understand that he is built for relationship, in the beginning was the word, and the word was what? With God. He was with God. He was already relational before he ever created us. So you know that God is love. Everything he does is rooted and anchored and expresses that love. So his creation is created for relationship. That, that's why every part of life is helped when you share it with somebody. I, I don't care what you go through. I don't care what wins you have, what challenges you experience. Everything is helped and made better by healthy, God-honoring relationships. Relationships. I, I shared with y'all a while back that our daughter Emily got married. And years ago, Emily decided she did not want me, her dad, to perform her wedding. Now, I wasn't offended at all. We went to another wedding where a friend of ours who's a pastor just walked his daughter down the aisle and Emily went, that's it. But something I wasn't ready for, I was happy to just be dad. I wasn't the pastor. I didn't have to think about what I was saying or holding it together and not losing it emotionally as I'm trying to perform a wedding for my daughter. It was great. But what I wasn't ready for was the real, real benefit, the, the blessing of having our friend David Hughes perform Emily's wedding was that I got to just sit there with Julie and hold her hand. I got to sit there just, just mom and dad. And, and I thought back to all of the years that went into that moment. I thought about when, the day that Emily was born and the next day when we brought her home from the hospital and we had no clue what we were doing. And then when she was three and four and five and six and we had even less clue what we were doing. But we figured it out together and in that moment, Julie and I got to share this, this moment where Emily is, is stepping into her life, stepping into what God's created her to do, who he's created her to be. And we, and we just got to enjoy it there. That's part of how God has wired us up. We are wired relationally because he is relational, created in his image. And so the facts are the facts but I want to show you very quickly what each of these facts about the word reveal about the word. The fact that Jesus is eternal reveals his faithfulness. The fact that he is eternal means that he is eternally faithful. He never fails. The fact that he is divine reveals his sovereignty, his holiness. 
The, the fact that God is holy means that he is morally perfect. So when God makes a decision, when God says something, when God makes a judgment, it is always right. That is a part of the fact that he is divine. The fact of Jesus as creator means that he is our sustainer. You, you could call Jesus true life support. All life is supported by the reality that Jesus is the creator. In him, all things hold together. In him, this sense that he is life gives us purpose and meaning. This life is not all that there is. You don't, you're not born, live a little while, die, and poop, that's it. There is a purpose and a meaning that touches eternity attached to your life. The fact that he is the light is wisdom. Wisdom. I wonder how many of us in the last three weeks have had to make a choice or a decision or act in some way and you didn't know what to do? Let me just see a show of hands. You just didn't know. Every parent in the room should have their hand up right now. Well, the fact that Jesus is the light of the world means that from him comes wisdom, insight, discernment. And the fact that he is human means that he has empathy. He has empathy. The book of Hebrews tells us that we have a great high priest who understands every way in which we are tempted because he was tempted in the same ways. It's empathy. The word became flesh. Which means of all of the words or ideas or notions that you could have about Jesus, there, there's one that does not hold any intellectual weight or water whatsoever. You see, because Jesus claimed and claims to be God, he became flesh, became one of us. That means that you cannot say of Jesus, he was a good teacher. He was a, a moral teacher. You, you can't, that, that's, that's not even a remote possibility. Because if he was God, then he was so much more than a moral teacher. But if he, let's just say for the sake of conversation, if he wasn't God and he claimed to be God, that's not a moral teacher. If I stood up here and told you, you know, we don't have any video because it was so long ago, but when I was in high school, I was able to execute a 360 dunk playing basketball completely on my own. And then everything else that I talked about today, you walked out here and went, man, that, that guy's a great teacher. There would be one problem with that. I would be a liar. I did not do a 360 dunk when I was in high school. Reverse, two-handed, yes, but 360, no. C.S. <laughs> Lewis put it this way in his classic, Mere Christianity. He said, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg 
or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great moral teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. You got to decide. Because of Jesus' claim, we, we don't get to just ride the fence. He either is or he isn't. You get to choose. I get to choose. This teaching series that we kick off today, Intro to Jesus, is the beginning of hopefully and prayerfully developing a deeper understanding on the way to a deeper relationship with Christ. To know just exactly who he is, to know just exactly what he has called us, his followers, to. In John chapter 1, verses 11 and 13, John says this about Jesus. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. This is what Jesus invites you into. This is what he has invited me into. Not just to know about him, but to know him. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And in this moment, I want to briefly talk to you about the week ahead. Starting with Monday, there are six days before we gather again. And I want to invite you to pray each day, to worship each day, Jesus, for each of these word associations, to worship him on Monday because he is eternal. Tuesday because he is divine. Creator, life, light, human. And as you worship him for each of those things on each of those days, ask him to give you more light, more insight into what those mean how they guide and direct your steps, your conversations, your business, your studies, your New Year's resolutions or even New Year's intentions. But if you're here today and you have never stepped into that relationship, we want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. To pray a prayer of beginning 
I said earlier that everybody gets extra credit for showing up on a day like today. It's the truth that none of us is here accidentally. You may be here exactly for this moment in your life. If that's you, then you pray silently in your own words, something like this. Just say silently, Jesus, I need you. I want to associate with you the word, the logos. And so I confess my sin to you, all of it, holding nothing back so that I can receive all of your amazing grace, your forgiveness. And in exchange for your life, I give you mine. And I will follow you from this moment forward. Lord, I pray this prayer in your name. As our heads are bowed for just another moment, if that was your prayer, this is the biggest moment of your life. It's the moment for which you were created. It is the moment from which God will build every moment that follows. And as a church, we would love to help, just to assist and come alongside in whatever way we can. When we dismiss in just a moment at the welcome area out in the lobby to your right, there'll be folks there who would love to just give you a new believer's packet, a, a kit, has a Bible, it has a reading plan, just to help you begin this journey, this relationship with God. And as our heads are bowed for just a second, I, I want to ask you, if, if you just prayed that prayer, would you raise your hand? Just raise your hand and hold it up high in the air for a moment as a statement spiritually of the commitment physically that you just made. And know that we honor that and celebrate it with you. As you put your hands down, we're going to put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. <laughs> welcome home. Welcome home.